Senior Life Journeys presents Carol Howell's Let's Talk Dementia, a podcast designed to help caregivers find knowledge, power, hope, and smiles in their dementia caregiving journey. Welcome to Let's Talk Dementia. Here is your host, best-selling author, Carol Howell. Hi, caregivers, and welcome to Let's Talk Dementia. I'm Carol Howell, your host, and I'm glad you've chosen to join me. Today's show is going to be a little bit different um, than what I normally do. I had the opportunity to do a telephone interview with Mr. Surya Kalori of Bank of America, and um, I just wanted to share that with everybody. So those of you listening on the podcast, it's just going to be an interview like normal, but if you're watching this on the video, you're just going to see a screen with Mr. Um, Surya's picture there, and um, I hope you enjoy this interview. It is a wonderful representation of some of the good things that are happening in our world corporately, as in with Bank of America, to help us caregivers. Hope it brings you some um, energy and makes you feel hopeful for the future. So here's the interview. Hello, caregivers, and welcome to Let's Talk Dementia. I am Carol Howell, your host, and I'm glad you decided to join me today. I am very honored to interview Mr. Surya Kalori, and he is Managing Director for Thought Leadership for the Bank of America Retirement Business. Surya, thank you for joining me today. Carol, good morning. It's a pleasure to be on the phone with you. Well, thank you. Um, Surya, where are you located in these great, uh, this great part of our world? Yes, I am in uh, wintry and snowy Boston today. <laughs> wintry and snowy Boston. We are recording this on December 18th, and you do have snow on the ground? Oh, we do. We had a sprinkling last night. Oh, my goodness. Well, Surya, I am in southwest Florida and went swimming yesterday, so a little bit different, huh? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, would, you be willing to trade, would you be willing to trade places, Carol? No. No, I would not. People have said, oh, Carol, you're just following your daughter wherever she lives because my daughter lives about two miles from me. And I said, well, sort of, kind of. But if my daughter had moved up north where it's cold all the time, I just would not have moved. <laughs> Understood. But thank you. Thank you for taking time from your schedule. And I know you're busy to um, talk with me. So, folks, um, I received an article that the Bank of America had um, produced, or more than an article, a little booklet, um, produced by Millican Institute in connection with Bank of America. And I started reading it, and I was like, this is just such good information. And one of the points that was made in this, um, this publication was people living with dementia, Surya, and their caregivers report feeling isolated and stigmatized in their communities. Can you talk to us about that? Yeah, so so loneliness uh, is, a, is a, a very important issue for us to focus on. Uh, in fact, uh, the, the research points out, Carol, that the connection between uh, being socially engaged and health is pretty strong, or rather mm -hmm. the counterpart of not being socially engaged and declining health is therefore true as well. So to the degree, and then you add on top of it, your points about stigma, stigma or dementia, uh, disabilities, those kinds of things compound this loneliness mm -hmm. problem. And so to the degree uh, that we as family members, we as neighbors, we as friends, we as uh, policymakers can contribute to social connectedness, uh, that is mm -hmm. going to be very helpful for our society. 
Oh, absolutely. And I just so agree with you where we, your point of if we are not connected, the negative impact it has on our life and the opposite side of that coin, if we are connected, the positive impact it has on our life, no matter our life situation, our health or our lack thereof, correct? Indeed, uh, uh, there was a research put out by uh, the Center on Longevity at Stanford University, and uh, they were equating uh, loneliness to, believe it or not, cigarette smoking. And uh, what I've heard them say is uh, being lonely uh, is equivalent to smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Uh, oh, and so, so this is so this is not hypothetical. This is no. a biologically a fact. Mm-hmm. Oh wow! A very physical impact on the human body. That loneliness and isolation. It's just amazing. Of course, you know this should not come as a surprise to us. The the 15 cigarettes part that came as oh, startling information. But we know that when we're alone consistently and we don't have that physical interaction, that that socialization from being with other people, we just start feeling it. It's a physical impact on the body. And, you know, indeed. In fact, uh, Carol, what I say is when I've been around the country and indeed around the world uh, talking about these matters, uh, one of the consistent questions I get is um, if we need to keep our brains uh, engaged and, uh, and and challenged, would it be okay to do something like a Sudoku puzzle? Uh, right. And, uh, and I don't think that a sub, it, Sudoku is a substitute for social engagement. What happens with Sudoku is that we get better at Sudoku. <laughs> right. So, you know, holistic engagement of the brain. So traveling, learning a new language, meeting people, socializing, those are the activities that keep the brain engaged. Right. You're exactly right. And, folks, if you're hearing noise in the background as I'm recording this, the yard people have decided to show up right outside my window and make noise. Isn't that just the way of my luck? <laughs> but you're exactly right. You know, and that also goes along with how we know folks who are involved in a religious community. And, and I'm not saying a specific kind of religious community. Whatever your origin of faith is, but if you're involved in that group of people on a regular basis, how much healthier we are. And it's the same thing, it's that social interaction. In fact, uh, Carol, you might have heard of the concept of uh, Blue Zones. Oh, uh, we are a Blue Zone certified company. Yay, yes, absolutely. There you go. And in fact, one of the communities in California has been identified as a Blue Zone where people live long. Mm-hmm. And to your point, uh, the, one of the attributes of this California community is that they have social rituals. They have religious rituals as a community, and Mm -hmm. uh, that fosters and builds foundation of the social engagement that we're talking about. Absolutely. So, Surya, what are some solutions to this problem then for folks who find themselves isolated? Either they're isolated because they have dementia and they're just alone, which just I can't tell you how that breaks my heart, or they're the caregiver and they're isolated because they're so busy caregiving. What can we do? Yeah, so so let me point out two or three different ideas, and I'm going to bring in here uh, the folks who are working as well, because there are many caregivers, as you can imagine, who are also working. And yes. uh, so now they have the twin challenge of keeping up with their work, 
and mm-hmm. carrying on the uh, the immense task of caregiving for elders and their family. So, so I want to mm-hmm. talk about how we address folks at work, and then how we address folks uh, social engagement folks who are receiving care, and then from a policy perspective, how we want to address yeah. that. But I think we need to surround this problem. Uh, and uh, in 360 degree manner, so that we actually crack it. Um, so on the work side, you know what we've learned is that people who are employed do not identify themselves as a caregiver. What I mean by that is, if you ask an employee what their identity is, they might say, "I'm an engineer, I'm a technician, mm-hmm. uh, I'm mm-hmm. a mechanic, uh, I'm a I'm a bank teller." but they do not identify themselves as a caregiver. However, if you ask them, did you take your mom or dad uh, to the hospital last week? Have you helped them pay their bills? Uh, Have you helped them file insurance claims? Many times the answer is yes. So even if folks do not identify themselves as a caregiver, they are doing the act of caregiving. So, So what we've learned is there are more caregivers then have been identified by employers who are engaged in this activity. So one of the one of the ideas there is just like in the 80s we introduced the concept of child care benefits at work, we should be mm-hmm. introducing elder care benefits at work. Amen. Amen. Preach it. And, <laughs> and, and the kinds of and the kinds of caregiving benefits I'm talking about are rather straightforward. Uh, it could be caregiving consultation. In other words, what kind of care should I be getting for elders in my family? Caregiving consultation. Mm-hmm. The second is maybe some subsidized caregiving uh, pricing or mm-hmm. uh, equally importantly, paperwork. You know, some of the some of the kind of pitfalls of giving care is if the right paperwork is not in place, we're asking mm-hmm. for So. Uh, so having the right paperwork in place as well. So these are straightforward activities, but if companies could think about this in terms of supporting their employees with their caregiving responsibilities, they're going to actually benefit themselves by having a positive impact on productivity. So, mm-hmm. so that's, that's, that's one aspect. The second aspect uh, to, uh, to answer your question is uh, building communities. So so one example of building communities is maybe we build a parents and caregivers network. Maybe mm-hmm. we build a disability advocacy network. Maybe we build an intergenerational network. And one mm-hmm. great place to assemble these communities for having conversations, in my opinion, is the public library. Uh, if you huh. think about if you think about how the public, you know, how books have transformed from hardcover to digital, uh, libraries need to rethink their mission. And one of mm-hmm. the great ways in which they could uh, be relevant to the communities in which they are is to have these communities that can have conversations about important things in their lives, like caregiving. Uh, mm-hmm. And then finally, from a, uh, Carol, from a policy perspective, if, uh, you know, whether it's our Senate, whether it's our Congress, whether it's our state houses, they can think about caregiving as an important need because as I think as we all know, 10,000 boomers a day in the U.S. are turning age 65. 
10,000 a day. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. soon it's going to be a, a significant population that's going to be the post-65 era, and having public policy that pays attention to this from a socialization perspective, from a benefits perspective, is going to be pretty significant. So those are, it's, a, you know, it's kind of a three-part answer, but hopefully that's Right. Some excellent points you've made there, too. And um, I think that the idea of employers come along beside their employees in in a lot of ways, and some of them would be uh, a lot of work, I think, for most employers to handle, such as helping them maybe have a network of care that they could recommend or maybe even helping to supplement the cost. But one thing that you mentioned that I think any employee could most likely offer um, is helping with paperwork. Um, that's that's huge. And in the work that we do and helping folks get VA benefits, I've had several clients come to me and go, Carol, somebody has to sit down and help me fill out this paperwork. I, I can't even – I'm too shaky. I can't write anymore or I don't understand. Can you just sit down and help me? physically fill it out and what a relief that was to them. So you're absolutely right, especially in that regard. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. So in this um, publication that you guys have, you do talk about the unpaid caregivers providing 83% of the care to older adults. 48% of those folks um, are dementia patients. So um, your study is verifying what I have been saying and what many entities have said, that dementia is such a widespread problem. Do you agree with that? Indeed. Uh, so we did a study on uh, what's called uh, – the title of the, the study was The Journey of Caregiving. And in that study, we put our finger on the financial costs of caregiving. Uh, yes. And I don't, I don't mean cost in the fullest sense well, that insurance pays something, the government pays something. But we put a finger on what is our out-of-pocket cost as a caregiver in the U.S. on average. And what mm -hmm. we identified was uh, if you or I are giving care to, you know, elders in our family, our out-of-pocket cost as an informal caregiver is $7,000 a year. Uh, mm -hmm. so this is on average per person we're giving care to. Now, if you're in more expensive parts of the country, you know, obviously the number is higher. If you're caring sure. for more members of the family, the costs are higher. Now, if the person you're giving care to has dementia, then that number becomes two and a half times. So mm. we're talking $18,000 range. So, so one of our insights is, uh, as we think about uh, financial planning, as we think about uh, what kind of assets do we need that will take us through uh, our later life, one of the line items we need from a financial planning perspective is caregiving, not for ourselves, but for others in the family. Mm-hmm. So true. And, you know, and we also, in those numbers, are not taking into account, I imagine, um, the physical health issues that the caregiver is now experiencing because they are caregiving. Is that correct? You know, so, Carrie, you're making a profound point, and I want to underscore this, which is uh, the way we think about caregiving is it's both a burden and a blessing. And here's what I mean. Uh, the burden part of it, of course, you know, the physical and the time demands, that is there. But the point that you're making that there's a detrimental health effect 
on the caregiver, given mm-hmm. that they might be doing double duty, given that there's stress involved, maybe they're losing sleep, etc. So there's the burden aspect. But I want to I want to attach to it the blessing aspect. So what I mean by blessing <laughs> is when we ask caregivers what they felt about this experience, as burdensome as it was, they said 91% said they were blessed to have the opportunity to give care to the ones oh, yeah. And then, and then 70, 77% said they would gladly do it again. Absolutely. I think so, here's so, one so of those. those two, so there's kind of a, I think, uh, in, in, a, in, a, in a broader sense to the term, there's a genuine fulfillment that comes from the act of caregiving, but mm-hmm. we should not ignore the physical burden side that you mentioned as well. Right, yeah. Um, and, and I absolutely, like I said, I think back on my journey with my mom, and, and um, I don't regret regret a minute of it. I mean, there were days that it was, like, really hard and, and really sad and frustrating and <laughs> all of those things. But, oh, my word, would I do it again? Please, yes, absolutely. But one other effect that um, folks that are caregiving – will feel could feel in their life as far as financial and and um emotional and satisfaction with their own selves is the lost benefits and promotions from work because now they've taken extra time off to take their loved one to the hospital or to the doctor or to intercede in whatever way. Um this is a, a real problem for caregivers also. You know you know Carol, you're making one great point after the other. Uh, this one this point that you made is also near and dear to my heart. Uh, we did a we did a investigation on the topic of women and financial wellness, right? Mm-hmm. So we, what we what we did here was we traced the journey of a woman from when she starts a career to when she retires. And of course, in the in the in the in the popular conversation today, we talk about pay disparities between males and females. Uh, but we think that's only one part of the equation. The real disparity is if you start compounding that impact over a career, to your mm-hmm. point, uh, on average, uh, we can all agree that uh, women more than men take time off to take care of their children, uh, take time off to take care of their uh, parents, take time off to take care of their spouse. And when we uh, did the calculation on average, between a man and a woman across the entire uh, uh, professional life journey, the difference, wait for this number, the difference between man and woman at age 65, having started at the same point in their careers, was a million dollars. Oh, that makes me sick. Now, now, after that, as we know, women live longer than men, and women are given care. Now you're adding a double whammy on mm-hmm. uh, the, the situation with females versus males. So, so I think paying special attention to the female life journey, the female financial life journey, and providing help along the way is a very important priority. Amen. Oh, yeah, I absolutely agree with that totally. It's um, kind of interesting, too, because you think about these same females whose income has been lower throughout their earning years than when they come Social Security, time to receive Social Security, their Social Security is lower because their earnings were lower. So it's a, it's a double whammy. You know, you, you can't win. Oh, that's that's a tough, 
tough um, situation for females. And so realizing that these um, are situations that go on in our world and how the isolation and the care that uh, the time away providing care, all these impacts on our life, what is the one takeaway that you would like to leave our listeners in 82 countries as of today? What is the one takeaway you can give them, or maybe two, that they can do to improve their their self, not the person they're caring for, but the caregiver? Yeah, so, so let me make two points. I'll make one a personal, individual point that we can all take away, and then I'll make a public policy point that we as individuals okay. can can influence as well. So let me make the first personal point, which is all of us, all of us, without exception, should organize our financial life. In fact, we have uh, created what's called a family life organizer. Remember the paperwork point you were making? So what's the point about just talking about paperwork and not having a paperwork organized? In fact, uh, Carol, after this call, I'm happy to share with you this family life organizer that we can share right. with your listeners. Because I think, you know, and, and filling out the family life organizer is not a sprint, it's a marathon. What I mean by that is there are many, 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 many parts of your life that needs to be need to be organized, and we have to steadily chip away at it because when the moment comes and your family needs that information, it's all in one place. And people are not scrambling. And so the family life organizer is the single piece of advice I would provide to all comers. I say to my friends, I say to my family, I say to my colleagues, and uh, and I think that's a, that's a very useful activity to engage in. On the public policy side, uh, so you can imagine um, bank tellers, uh, fire people who take care of fire, firemen and fire persons, uh, police officers. Um, people who first responders, people who engage with the public, need to know what it means for a person to have dementia. What it oh, means yeah. to have a person who is giving care. Because if you don't know, you don't know. And uh, so, for <laughs> example, in Boston, I'm on the board of the New England Alzheimer's Association, and I'm very proud that the association has created training dementia-friendly training for our police officers. Mm-hmm. And so imagine if we as individuals uh, write to our uh, uh, public officials in our local community saying, hey, we need to introduce dementia-friendly training to people who respond, who kind of connect with the public on a day-to-day basis, whether it's police officers, mm-hmm. bank tellers, uh, firemen, et cetera, et cetera. And so and we as individuals can be advocates for the right because because then it becomes a very dementia friendly age friendly world that we can influence mm-hmm. so so I have this personal piece of advice and this public piece of action that we can all take right right, and great on both of those and um I think also as I said the the restaurants helping restaurants to know how to offer an environment for a caregiver and their their LO, as I call them, their loved one, to come and be able to enjoy a meal being served by people who understand what's going on. You know, even simple things like if you're out to eat, your female's out to eat with her husband, her husband has dementia, he's got to go to the bathroom. What does she do? Does she take him to the men's bathroom? That's right. And we can extend the idea, Carol, from restaurants to supermarkets. 
right? So you yeah. go to the supermarket. If the if the items are on the fourth or the fifth or the sixth shelf, what's mm-hmm. the point? And so <laughs> the aisles being wider, the fonts being bigger, the items being lower. These are all important things that one could imagine uh, a supermarket mm-hmm. could do as well. So when you look at it, you think, oh my gosh, there's so much that needs to change, so much that needs to be taught, and so much that needs to be learned. But you know, the way you eat an elephant is one small bite at a time, right? <laughs> so I'm just excited that Bank of America said, hey, let's let's start, you know, one small bite at a time and see what changes we can make in our world. And you know, Bank of America is no small entity. I mean, you, there's just such opportunity there for you guys to have a huge impact, and um, I'm excited about that and, uh, and your ideas. I love the idea that the a company just gets involved in that caregiving journey and says, we're here, this stinks, this is hard, this is difficult, but you're not traveling it alone. And I think just knowing that as an employee, for me, I would feel um, empowered in a way that, I don't know that you could put a, a, a value on. It would be a huge empowerment that then when I'm back full-time and I'm not caregiving, I'm on the other side of that journey, I'm so thankful that I'm probably a better employee than I ever would have been because I'm working for people who care. So the payback, I think, is huge for companies. So. Uh, well said, Gerald. What I would say is uh, there's a role for the private sector. There's a role for the public sector. There's a role for nonprofits. And there's a role for us as individuals and families influencing all these things. So, so I think, uh, you know, as the world gets grayer with uh, us living longer and more people over 55 and 65 in the world. In fact, I heard somebody once say an anecdote that there are more people alive on this planet today who are older than 65 than have ever lived combined in the history of humanity. Right? Wow. So, so, so this is going to be a gray world. And uh, we need all of us to hold hands and create this environment where it is age-friendly, caregiving-friendly, and dementia-friendly. I am in total agreement with that, absolutely. Sorry, the information you've given us today has just been so prevalent uh, or so so needed in our world with the prevalence of dementia being what it is. And, and you present it in such a way that I think it's very thought-provoking and very down-to-earth. And I thank you for your time and, and thank Bank of America for what they're doing. I'm excited to read more things and keep, me, keep sending this information to me. And then the financial planning information that you mentioned, if you send that to me and I can get it out to um, the folks that are listening, put on my website, that would just be super good. Carol, thank you very much. I appreciate the opportunity and happy holidays. Thank you. So, guys, I hope you've enjoyed this interview today with Ms. Mr. Suri Kalori from Managing Director for Thought Leadership for Bank of America Retirement Business. That's a really long title he's got. I'm thinking he has a very large business card. <laughs> and I hope that you guys have learned something that will make you empower, or help to empower you or, and maybe give you some ideas of things that you can do to, one, help yourself, two, to help your neighbors, and maybe ideas if you are the employee or you're in the human resources department of a company where you might say, huh, you know, we could do this because this is going on in our company and we need to get involved. And that's what this show is all about is bringing some good knowledge, some good information. And, and um, I thank you guys for listening, and we'll see you on the next episode of Let's Talk Dementia. Blessings and smiles. 
Let's Talk Dementia would like to thank our sponsors, National Association of Veterans and Families. You can reach them at 800-352-2919 on the internet at www.navf.org. They speak veterans so you don't have to. And you tell them Carol sent you when you call to inquire about benefits for the veteran, the spouse of the veteran, or both. Editor Beth, you can find Ms. Beth Crosby at EditorBeth.com. She is amazing at looking at what you've written and making sure it represents you well. Find her at www.EditorBeth.com. And HD Imports, located on Flint Street Extension in Rock Hill, South Carolina. That's York County. 803-985-0985. They are there for the the repair and maintenance of your Honda, Hyundai, Toyota, Kia. Tell them Carol sent you. Thanks for joining us today for Carol Howell's Let's Talk Dementia. To learn more about dementia, we recommend Carol's best-selling book, also titled Let's Talk Dementia. It's available on Amazon in paperback and Kindle versions. Be sure to like Let's Talk Dementia on Facebook and leave us a kind word of review on iTunes. Remember, knowledge brings power. Power brings hope. Hope brings smiles. And we all need more smiles. Thanks for joining us today, and we'll be right here when you come back to Let's Talk Dementia.